All right, we got Premier League Match Week 22 review for you today. I think it's Match Week 22. Uh, yeah, we're talking Manchester United's colossal win, Arsenal getting robbed, as hard as it is for me to admit, I think that's the case, and Chelsea under Tuchel just keep rolling. We then have a quick turnaround, which is the theme of this season, and jump straight into Match Week 23 preview. Welcome to the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Dalglish, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones Bouts. This is episode 22. Let's get started. Okie we're jumping right into it. This week, we've got a Match Week 22 review. The midweek fixtures just finished up. I'm joined here by my good friend, my co-host, Bones. Bones, how you doing? You ready to get, get, get started? Yeah, let's dive into it. All right, cool. So let's start off with one of the bigger, uh, at least most noteworthy matches of the week. Back on Tuesday, we had Wolves versus Arsenal. The result of this match was 2-1 to Wolves. So, let's give you a little bit of a recap. The game started off hot where Saka for Arsenal, within the first few minutes, got in behind the back line of Wolves and almost scored, hit hit the ball off the post, which would have been a fantastic start. But despite not getting the goal, it kind of set the tone for Arsenal in the first half. They were very aggressive. They were by far the better team. And finally, the attack broke through in the 32nd minute with a beautiful goal by none other than Pepe. He actually megged two Wolves defenders and slotted it away. It was a very beautiful goal. Uh, Sort of, I'm guessing that's sort of what they were expecting out of this signing when they got him, you know, for... I can't remember the fee, but it was something ridiculous. I think it was there. in this. I think it was like seventy-five. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a little bit of a glimpse what he, what he can do. What Arsenal fans are expecting going forward. So it was a good start to the game, uh, and it looked like it was going to be cruise control for Arsenal, but uh, that all kind of came crashing down in the forty-fifth or the stoppage time of the first half, where William Jose for Wolves got in behind the Arsenal back line, was basically on a bright breakaway inside the eighteen, and then. Almost right on schedule, what you'd expect, a David (laughs) Luiz foul. Um, So the foul was uh, barely a foul. He basically nicked the trailing foot of the player, clearly unintentional. Um, William Jose went down, and then obviously they uh, awarded the PK, but the ref also immediately gave a red card to David Luiz. And, uh, yeah, it was one of the more shocking red cards. So at that point, the game completely changed. Wolves buried the, uh, the PK, Ruben Neves. Match is tied. All the momentum is gone from Arsenal now. They're down to 10 men. Start of the second half. Just a few minutes into the second half. Relatively even match still. Then Moutinho for, Moutinho for Wolves hit a banger of a shot from well outside the 18, very uncharacteristic of him. And it scored, it went in top left corner, put Wolves up 2-1. And it kind of went cruise control for them uh, at that point. And to make matters worse for Arsenal, in the 72nd minute, there was a ball played, sort of played into the Arsenal defensive third. No players were really around it. It was just out to the box. Arsenal's keeper Leno came out. And he had a brain fart. He kind of just, I don't know what he was thinking, but he could have easily just headed the ball out of bounds. But he actually decided to swat at it while outside the 18. And it denied Wolves of a clear and obvious opportunity to score a goal. So he got a red card too. So by the end of the match, Arsenal's down to nine men. Um, they lost 2-1 and it was just ugly. And I think the the big talking point here and what every Arsenal fan in the world is incredibly upset about, and I think probably rightfully so, is the red card for David Luiz in the first half. So, Bones, with all that being said, what are your thoughts? First and foremost, I'd like to say that overall it was a, it was a really entertaining match, particularly the first half. And I don't think that there's anybody that would say that, that Arsenal weren't unlucky to have lost this match. I mean, they were flying high in the first half prior to David Luiz getting the red. 
to that point, that's got to be the most dubious and probably most objectionable sending off he's gotten in his career. He's, I mean, he's had some real doozies, but I, I just can't get behind that call. I, sh- I think they should have overturned that. But then you had Brent Leno's sending off, which was just embarrassing. And my first plug of the day, Neuer no, wouldn't no, have, no, 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 Neuer no, wouldn't have no. made that mistake. Shut I, and up. I, no, and we're not talking about Bayern Munich. Just for once, it, don't talk about Bayern Munich. Hey, hey, Neuer wouldn't have made that mistake, and that's just why. So would have, like, every single keeper in a top-tier division would have not, uh, not no, made that I'm, mistake. You're – you're missing what I'm linking this to. It's not in regards to Bayern Munich. It's in re- regards to the German national team, for which Bernd Leno is their number three. Oh, my God. Regardless, I'll move on from that. But the player of the match for me, uh, despite Pepe's sweet goal, as you said, and Moutinho's absolute banger, it has to go to Saka. I mean, he was exceptional. Yeah. And, I, I mean, it, it, he's been stunning this year. I, I mean... I think I can only, I think I'll leave it at that. I, I don't even, I don't have the words to express what he was doing, particularly in the first half. Yeah, he's, he's a stud. He's uh, obviously the future of Arsenal, but honestly right now he's, he is their best player. Like, yeah. And that says a lot because they do have a lot of big names. I mean, obviously Pepe has been a train wreck since arriving at Arsenal, but he's now starting to show his quality you know, slowly but surely. And then you have the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang on the team. And it says a lot that Saka is clearly the best player. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what else to say about this because the, the David Luiz red card, I mean, it just changed everything in this match, right? So yeah. it... The, the match was completely flipped on its head and Arsenal immediately had to go in survival mode, whereas the first what was he he was sent off in the, like the 44th the first 43 minutes of the match was just absolute high octane intensity offensively for arsenal and mm-hmm. it was it was beautiful football yeah and also to be fair even when they first went down to 10 men they they i think that leveled the the match so they still have probably had an opportunity to win it i, I wouldn't say I mean, it changed the match dramatically, but what it did was it brought Arsenal down to Wolves' level, and Arsenal still had a chance to win. But then Leno, who, who knows what the hell he was thinking, um, that kind of yeah. just ruined everything, right? Like, I, I you know, Moutinho, they, to, to get the second goal, Wolves had to, I mean, that, I don't know if Moutinho will ever replicate that goal again. It was unbelievable. And so it took an extreme event like that just to get Wolves above them. And so I had, this feeling that Arsenal was going to at least nick a goal and, and at least get one point out of this. Cause at the very least they deserve that. I mean, they, they probably yeah. deserve to win this match, but you know, the ref made it very difficult for them. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's unfortunate. I, all my friends who are Arsenal fans are still fuming about it, especially because they came out today uh, announcing the rulings on um, the various red cards for midweek. Some of them came in the Manchester United Southampton match, which we'll get to. But uh, the David Luiz one did not get overturned, which is just I I don't fucking know what's going on there. Yeah, and and that's actually a good point and segue. First of all, this has to be some sort of record for red cards in a in a Premier League week. So two for Southampton and two for Arsenal. That's that's insane. Yeah. But also, you look at some of the red cards, or you look at you look at David Luiz's red card, and as I said. On a whole, and given his record, this is the most dubious of them all. And particularly with VAR, they should have been able to overturn this. And and the the tackle that I'll reference in the United match, the one that brought Martial down in in the um, in the box, it wasn't granted a straight red. He was already on a on a yellow, so he ended up getting booted for um, for double infraction. But both of those were relatively soft calls or soft fouls that you would think that VAR would have overturned having looked at it. And I, you know, you so, can disagree with that, but no, I, no, 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 I, I don't think it's, it's impossible to disagree with you. But I, so what I've gathered from what people are now saying is it has something to do with the definition of the rules. So 
let me see if I can get this right. Um, so in David Luiz's challenge, it was very clear that he wasn't making an attempt on the ball. In fact, he wasn't making an attempt, period, on anything. Like, he was trying not to make contact. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. he was basically giving up, right? He just happened mm-hmm. to the slightest nick on the trailing foot that took down the player. But by I th- this is what I've been hearing by the definition of the rule, because there was no intent on the ball, that it and it denies an obvious goal scoring chance, then it's a red card. So in theory, if he had dove in, tried to get the ball, missed the ball and got the player, then they might have just given him a yellow card and he might have stayed in the match. So hmm. it's yeah, it's I don't know if this is true or not, but that's what a lot of people are saying. And that's, I guess, how they're justifying this call and justifying the fact that Varden overturn it. So it's uh, if that's true, then they obviously need to review the language and the rules because that's just like any anyone can see the replay and just be like this. Yeah, this doesn't deserve doesn't even deserve a yellow card. Like, yeah. And, and, and I think that's a good point that and we've complained about VAR, particularly in the Premier League. I've always said that I thought that use of it in the Bundesliga has been more consistent. But in the Premier League, there's consistently issues about calls being made. And I, I just feel like after this year, there's got to be you know, some sort of get-together of the refereeing committees and the rules committees to assess some of these calls that are being made. Because it, it, VAR is pointing out inconsistencies or f- flaws in the rule book. That should be changed because, you know, in in the speed of the game, it may be missed and, and, you know, calls may go one way or the other, but at least they're justified. But when you go to super slow-mo, then you start nitpicking at these obscure rules and fitting it into things that would never have come to mind to a referee who's making, making the call on the field. Mm-hmm. So I think they have to make um, a conscious effort of amending rules because of what they've now learned from VAR and, and, and I, I guess the, the, the give and take and the benefits and pitfalls of um, instant replay. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to have uh, some more of our discussion, unfortunately in a little bit, uh, but before we move on to the next match, listen, if you like to keep up with the premier league, but because of the rapid fire schedule of this year, you can't keep up with the, all the madness because honestly, this is probably the wildest season I can remember. Um, just upsets week after week. Uh, there isn't, I mean, there's maybe starting to become a favorite to win the league. But anyways, I digress. If you're looking to keep up with the Premier League and it's too much to handle right now, then I recommend subscribing to this podcast because, listen, we're on top of it. We're doing the hard work for you. You can expect at least two episodes a week with reviews of matches, with previews of matches, and it's just all the Premier League goodness. So if you haven't already, Go ahead and subscribe to Two Touch. If you're on Apple and you've listened along a couple times now, maybe you can feel good enough about leaving a review or a, a rating. We'd love to hear about your thoughts on the podcast. So any feedback feedback is welcome. Uh, yeah, that's a little that's a little bit right there. All right, moving on. Next match we're going to be discussing is probably the most ridiculous scoreline of the midweek, without a doubt. Actually, Manchester United versus Southampton. Normally, I like to review and talk about the goals, but honestly, we'd be filling up the entire episode with that because Manchester United won 9-0. So this match was over before it started pretty much because the match kicked off and within three minutes of the start, Alexander Jankovic, Jankovic, not 100% sure on the pronunciation. He is an academy player for Southampton who got his first start. Playing in Old Trafford went studs up, unquestionably dangerous, right on to the inside of the knee, inside of the thigh of Scott McTominay. It was a very brutal challenge, and McTominay is pretty lucky to not come away with a serious injury. Yeah. He had these scars and bruises of cleat marks going down his thigh. Um, so, yeah, uh, immediately a red card. Southampton has the entire match to play, down to 10 men, and... United just turned it on. Um, let's see. So nine goals, seven different goal scores. And not only that, uh, Southampton managed to get another red card, which uh, we alluded to earlier in this episode. It was in the 86th minute. So, I mean, it was all over. It was already 7-0 at this point. But uh, 
a very similar kind of situation to David Luiz in the sense that the Wolves defender wasn't really making much of a challenge on Martial and the contact was questionable, uh, but Martial went down in the box and uh, the player got sent off. And so in the last, you know, five minutes, six minutes, United were able to score another two goals. So as much as I like to talk about all the good things about Manchester United, before we get into that, I guess kind of the big storyline that was haunting this match or haunting this after the match was the fact that this is not the first time in the last two seasons that Southampton has lost 9-0. So if you are not aware or can't remember, uh, they lost 9-0 in a very rainy match against Leicester last year. Uh, I think also because they got down to 10 men. Pretty brutal. Yeah, just an absolutely ridiculous and brutal stat, particularly for for the the manager, Ralph Hussenhuddle. I mean, that's just – that'll keep you up at night. Yeah, so I guess we can get into it. Maybe that's a good starting point is how does this happen? How do you how do you lose two matches 9-0? And not only, like, it's not this is a manager with a shit team that loses 9-0 when they have 10 players. This is a, a good team. This is, yeah. you know, it wasn't long ago before – it wasn't long ago that they were hanging out in the top five, and you and I were discussing, hey, like, maybe they figured something out. They do have some quality on the team. Maybe they can, you know, we didn't think they were going to finish top four, but we're like, Hey, they can fight for Europa this year. And then they've been on a steady decline since, but they're still a pesky team. I mean, they beat Liverpool not that long ago. So how does a team like this lose two, two matches within pretty much a year of itself? Nine, nothing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And you and I were talking back and forth about this because I, I brought up that, same point and you're like well when they do go down they or not even go down um from a scoring perspective but go down um to 10 men or so they do not immediately go in survival mode and just pack pack the box defensively which i i've got to say i really appreciate and respect because wait before you go down this road too too much because um i'm just gonna save you a lot of breath I actually rewatched the match because I'm sick like that. And <laughs> they actually did pack it in pretty conservatively after, after one goal. And it was pretty clear they were playing in a low block and just having one striker up top do his thing. So, so I'm the asshole. Yeah. No, no, right. no, that's not what I'm saying, Bones. I'm saying before you say, oh, they don't change their tactics – which I I thought that too. I mean, that's what you'd expect when you see nine goals scored, right? Yeah. It, it just it actually wasn't the case. They were actually playing relatively conservatively. So in that case, <laughs> I have no good answer. Uh, I mean, I, I I guess from the player's perspective, once you get to a certain point, once you get to f- five nil down, like what's another four? So fuck it. Yeah, kind there's, of no, there's no motivation. Yeah, so that's the only thing that I can think of. Uh, but then that still begs the question, how do you even go 5-0 down? Um, and I, I, again, don't have an answer for that. Right. Um, I think there is an answer for it, and I was hoping that you would draw this conclusion, but I, I guess I have to spell it out. But United's attack was probably the best they've been all season maybe second best probably second best to their performance against Leeds. everyone was scoring and every goal was different and obviously there's there's something to say that like if if a team isn't actually keeping you honest in their own attack so for example i think that shows something like luke shaw had free reign to go up he had two assists and he didn't have to be held accountable defensively so i that is part of it but also you just, I mean, Juan Bissaka scored a goal. Again, didn't have to mm-hmm. be held too accountable on the defensive end. Cavani scored, which is great. Actually, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really good takeaways for United. I think in this sense, obviously no one's going to get too carried away because it gets a 10-man at Southampton, but I still think there's there's a lot of positives from it from a United side. Because if this was what you'd expect out of 10 men, like 11 v 10, then you would see this more often, right? But you don't usually right like someone a team goes down by 
you know, loses a player, they pack it in, they go conservative and it's actually really hard to score on them because mm-hmm. they're basically just trying to stop the bleeding because depending on the team, depending on where they are in the table, goal differential matters. Um, yeah. So I was pretty pumped. I kn- go ahead. I, I just knew that you would have more fun saying that than, than hearing me say, I guess United's attack has finally clicked. So you're welcome. Oh, too kind of you. Too kind of you. So before I start drilling over the positives uh, for Manchester United, do you do you have any other comments that you want to make before I, I make the listeners sick with this uh, yeah. United propaganda? Yeah, I, I've got one, and that's in relation to my buddy St. Anthony. I, I wonder what getting on the score sheet with a brace will do for his mental game, his confidence. Does he respond with a good run of form, or you know, does he kind of – go back to, I, I guess, his streaky, his streaky nature. I mean, throughout his United career, he's scored in fits and starts, but he's never been consistently scoring. Mm-hmm. Last year was the closest he would have come to that. But even still, there was times where he was frustratingly wanting in front of goal. So I do wonder how, how that plays out. And then the last thing, and... The last thing I'll say, it's in relation to this week's matchup. How does United respond? Do they continue? Is this a confidence boost and they ride this high through the next couple of weeks where they really keep keep ground with City and are continuing to um, keep the intensity up? Because they, they've also been prone in the past to, you know, having a lapse where yeah, they, they, they had get, a little bit of a lull there. Yeah. Yeah, where they just get complacent and they they just don't perform as they they probably should. Right. Those are I think those are totally fair questions. Um, you know, I'm I'm an optimistic person, so I'd like to say yes, this will help Marcel's confidence because he is the biggest head case. So how do you remedy that? You get the guy some goals, and he had two pretty nice goals. And then for United, you know, of all things, our defense has been pretty good of recently and our attacks been a little bit flat. So I'd like to think this is a big momentum boost, big match this weekend against Everton. So I, I hope that carries over, um, but we'll see. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, overall fantastic for United, obviously three points to keep pace with city. Just obviously city still has a little bit of a buffer, but just got to keep taking care of business. Uh, Rashford got to get subbed off, which is huge. The guy just needs rest, and I thought that was a big win. As we mentioned, Martial with the two goals, so what does that mean for his confidence? Cavani scored, which I didn't think it was that big of a need, but it is nice considering he did miss a couple of sitters against Arsenal, and so if that had continued in this match, then maybe I'd start being a little bit concerned, but you know, he's He's a proven goal scorer. He's a veteran. I, I, I think mentally he's not as fragile as someone like Martial. So anyways, good to see him get on the score sheet. Donnie, Donnie Vanderbeek got subbed on at halftime. So he got a good 45 minutes in, which is just great. He needs more minutes. It's hard for him to get them. Padded the goal differential, which was huge considering we had that big loss against Tottenham early in the season. Uh, just all around solid, solid performance in my book. Um, there was – VAR controversy in this one, as we mentioned earlier, uh, not only was the the red card late pretty questionable, uh, but also Southampton actually did score a goal, which I have no idea how it got overturned. They won a free kick in their attacking third, took it quickly, caught United snoozing. They scored the goal. VAR reviewed it. If you're watching on TV, they show their stupid like lines and geometry that they do to tell you if the player is on sides or not. The, the the Southampton player looks onside, so somehow they overturned it. I don't get it. Vars Vars a mess. Yeah. We don't. We could rant on it for a whole episode, but we're not going to. So we're just going to move on to the marquee matchup of the midweek fixture fixtures. So next up, we got Tottenham versus Chelsea. Result one nil to Chelsea. So goals. There's just one. Jorginho. It was a penalty in the 24th minute after Timo Werner received the ball in the box. Uh, well, he actually, I think, brought it into the box. And Dyer made a challenge, slipped while on the ground, then just tripped Werner. It was just a really stupid challenge by uh, Eric Dyer. Yeah. Got the PK, slotted it away. 
not a lot of highlights to mention in this one. I think I thought personally overall it was a pretty boring match, which maybe shouldn't be a surprise because yeah, you know Tottenham's already a conservative team, and on top of that, they're they're missing their best goal scorer and goal creator in, in Harry Kane. So it's not like you'd expect them to actually put a couple on the board. And I think Chelsea's still just trying to figure out what what works best for them under Tuchel. Yeah, I agree. I mean. It, it, was not an entertaining match in the slightest. I was actually interested. I think the, the most interesting storyline from the match was when the penalty was awarded, who was going to take the kick. Mm-hmm. Jorginho has missed a couple of penalties this year. Obviously, Timo Werner missed one a couple of weeks ago, but were they? was he going to allow Timo Werner to take it to try to get out of his slump? Obviously, he didn't. Jorginho scores. Other than that, it was very boring. I was a little interested to or surprised by how ineffective Marcos Alonso was going forward. Although the weather, I don't know um, if any of the listeners watched the match. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me how shitty the weather is in North London. I mean, it was torrential downpour. Couldn't have been comfortable or enjoyable to play in. Overall, I'm as a Chelsea fan, I'm happy that they got the points, but it certainly wasn't. It wasn't pretty, and it wasn't an indication of great things ahead um, under Tuchel. Not that it was his fault. I just thought that they looked relatively stale. Yeah. And I will say that I prefer CHO as the right wing back over Reese James. I, I didn't think that Reese James played a particularly good game. And I thought that CHO in the past couple of matches seemed to be more deadly coming going forward from a further back position. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So added context, uh, Hudson-Odoi had the first two starts under Tuchel, had been starting as a right wing back. But today he started probably in a position that he's more comfortable with or we've seen him more in the past, but playing sort of in the front three, even though it's a, it's a relatively narrow front three that sit behind a lone striker. So he was in that uh, alongside Mason Mount, and they played with Timo Werner in front of them. Yeah, I, he was – I mean, of the attacking players, I thought Hudson-Odoi was still better. He was better than, yep. I thought, than Mason Mount and, and Timo Werner. But relative to his performances in the previous two games under Tuchel, I agree with you. He looked he looked a lot more dangerous as a right wing back, and I wonder if that's – Yep. because – well, first of all, he's, he's right-footed, right? So mm-hmm. uh, playing on the right side – that means you're more you're more dangerous with crosses and making those uh, kind of right lane runs. When you get shifted in a little bit closer towards the center, then I don't know if that's his style of game playing in tight areas. You know, seeing the the the, the runs and playing the through balls. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I don't know Hudson Adoy well enough to know if that's if we should be able we should expect him to be able to handle that but all i can say is in a three-game sample playing as a right wing back was definitely more impressive and it's interesting because we started talking about marcus alonso in this regard last week where he had been frozen out frozen out by lampard because they were playing a, a back four marcus alonso is not a good left back he's a very good left wing back right and for hudson adoy you know, despite him not having great defensive acumen, he's a very serviceable, serviceable to good uh, right wing. Mm-hmm. So in that system, it doesn't really matter whether he can play defense or not. And Reese James is a better defensive player than Hudson Odoi, but again, doesn't really matter. It's more about getting forward. I, I, I do think that, you know, Tuchel continues to tinker with his lineups and I respect that he's doing that. I just do not believe that Mason Mount is in the right position when he's playing as a left winger or left left forward. He just I, I like him more central, and I think he offers way more um, because part of his game, and I think a lot, I think the biggest part of his game is his vision and ability to get forward and distribute to the wings for crosses in. Mm-hmm. As a in more of a, a wing based role, he just I, I just don't think he's good enough, or that's not he's not comfortable enough in that position to be truly effective. He's Whereas not, he's not playing that wide though when he's in that position though. True, but I still think that he's better sitting behind that front line 
and being able to kind of facilitate the attack moving forward rather than receiving. Yeah. And, and I think Polisic and Ziek and Hudson Adoy are traditional wingers. Um, And even in a, a setup where they're, they're playing further up and aren't really on the wings, but are more, uh, more forward. I still think that they offer more in that position than Mason Mount does. Got it. One thought I had about kind of backtracking a little bit about how Hudson Adoy didn't play wing back instead Reese James did. And to the point you just made Reese James is a better defender. Do you think that was because uh, of the threat of Son on that left side? So basically having Reese James as a little bit more of a defensive insurance when Son is really Tottenham's most dangerous attacker. I, I, that's that's how I justified it in my head when I was watching that and, and saw the the lineup announced. Sure, I I think that's very reasonable, but I also think that um, managing player expectations and and just ensuring that Reese James didn't get pissed off that he was starting pretty much every every match week and then is relegated to the bench. Mm-hmm. I think that played into it and building rapport. Or Tuchel building rapport with his players, because at the end of the day, you just kind of need someone out there. With I'm sure that Hudson Odoi would have would have been fine um, in that position, even with Sone. And that's not a condemnation of of Sone's play or a, 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 you know compliment to Hudson Odoi's defensive play. It's more that they're playing with a essentially a a back three with two wing backs. So presumably they've ha- they'd have enough back there at any given time to handle the counterattack by Tottenham, led through. So eh, I don't know, man. That back three versus the front three of Tottenham, I I'd give them, I'd go with Son in that top three because you got like Aspilicueta back there. Um, yeah, you know. Well, we'll see. I think I think that's what I think your point is is probably right about how Tuchel's still trying to. He's not trying to, you know freeze out any of any of the players especially talented ones Reese James is is talented he doesn't want to get on you know he's he's developing developing relationships so um this was probably a good time for him to use him knowing that he's a little bit more solid defensively and it probably was a smart move in the end um I want to shift focus hold on I want to shift focus from the defense to the attack because Chelsea's attack seemed to take a step in the right direction the last match but this one they kind of went back to their old ways uh, in the sense that they only had they had 18 shots total which is fantastic mm-hmm. but only two were on goal yep that's i mean that's good. abysmal yeah, yeah. that's hor- horrific and again although he wasn't quite as impactful this match as the last one it seemed to change a little bit when Pulisic came on off the bench and yeah. i mean within 2 minutes of being on he almost scored. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's a spark plug, and I, I think he plays that role with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, despite him starting and captaining um, the the squad, he brings a lot of energy, creativity, and just it seems like a relentless motor that I, I think um, he's very good at catching defenders sleeping and mm-hmm. finding pockets of space, particularly because he's so small. He needs to be creative in that in that sense how small and, do you think he is well you know he's smaller than me <laughs> okay yeah yes that you know what i i don't know how tall he is but i'm willing to bet he's not six foot seven yep okay so we're moving on but before we do that there was a few other notable results so quickly touch on those uh there was i'll start with the battle of the basement dwellers sheffield united beat west brom 2-1 so now they climb to within one point of West Brom. I don't know if it really matters that much because they're both probably getting relegated, but it's worth noting they took advantage of a good opportunity. Then next up, we actually had a very competitive match on paper between West Ham and Aston Villa. Both these teams have uh, European tournament aspirations, most likely Europa League, but who knows, uh, considering that West Ham beat Aston Villa 3-1, which kept them in fifth place. Notes from that, my boy, Jesse Lingard, made his debut. He is on loan from Manchester United, just arrived in London about a week ago, and he scored two goals. Not the prettiest of goals, but he scored two goals. And 
obviously I'm a homer. Uh, Bones has a history of making fun of Jesse Lingard. And I think that's fair because a lot of people like to make fun of him. But it's a good story because if you're not aware, he's he's had a tough go of it in the last year or two because, uh, well, first of all, it was clear something was going on because he was kind of getting frozen out of un- the United squad. And um, although he's not a world-class player, he does offer sort of – things that you like in a team. He, he's high energy. He, he is capable of scoring goals. He had a nice run a couple of years ago where he was one of our better attacking players. So there is quality there, but he wasn't playing at all. And he was in a funk. His quality had dropped off. In fact, the club didn't even know what was going on. And then finally he sort of looped people in that he's been having a tough time because of his mother is dealing with they classified as severe depression. So she actually had to leave Manchester United to get, or sorry, leave Manchester to get help. So Jesse Lingard was responsible for essentially raising his two younger siblings. And a lot of this, you know, played a serious toll on him. So mentally he was in a very tough place. He hadn't been getting any sort of run and playing soccer, which is probably what makes him happiest. And so um, it's really cool to see him playing and, uh, you know, obviously had the biggest smile on his face playing for West Ham. So I'm happy to see that, Um, you know. All right, that's enough of that. But, yeah, so West Ham wins 3-1 against a very good Aston Villa team. That's a a serious blow for Villa, and uh, West Ham keeps pace with the top four, which is really interesting. And the other match to note is a big-time upset. We would have talked about it more, but quite frankly, it was a snooze fest. Brighton beat Liverpool at Anfield 1-0. So Liverpool went three, almost four years without losing at Anfield, and now they have lost back-to-back matches at Anfield once against Burnley and now against Brighton. Brighton looked good. Their defense was super disciplined. They, they Liverpool were not dangerous at all, which is insane. And obviously Brighton didn't go over the top attacking wise. They only got one goal, but they got the job done. It's a huge three points for them. They're technically sitting just above the relegation zone, but there's a big gap now between them and the relegation zone. So that's a big win for them, obviously. Okay. So given the midweek fixtures are now done, we have again, a quick turnaround till the weekend matches. Uh, We're going to have a quick table review. Bones is going to take it away from here. So getting into it, City holds on to the top spot after their win over Burnley. They have 47 points and a game in hand. United still in second with 44 points and did a great job improving their goal differential this week. I mean, how can you not with a 9-0 result? Leicester hold on to the, top, uh, to the third spot after a win over Fulham, currently sitting at 42 points. Liverpool, Liverpool holds on to the fourth, fourth spot despite losing. They still have 40 points. And then West Ham are in fifth and close the gap on the top four after their huge win against Villa with 38 points. Dope, dope, dope. All right. So we got the big picture. What's going on in the Premier League? So as always, got a quick turnaround. Got to jump into previewing match week 23. So let's start off. You know what, Bones? I'll let you go first. What's what's what the first guy. match? What's what's the first match you're looking forward to? On Saturday, first match, Arsenal versus Aston Villa. Rationale: Both teams are struggling for European spots. Both have looked scrappy recently, while Villa has kind of been sliding. Arsenal has shown that it's somewhat on the rise. Are there are they ships passing in the night, moving <laughs> positions? I I don't know. <laughs> nice, but. Yeah, thank you. But I think with the ambition that they've shown and their ability to put on a show, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm really looking forward to this match. Uh, the thing I like about this match is that it is the early match on Saturday. So for us East Coasters, that's a good old 7.30 a.m., a great way to start your Saturday. Get a, get a breakfast sandwich together with a, a nice me. I have a preference of iced coffee, so... You know, start off the day on a good note. See a competitive football match. Um, I I agree with you. They it could be could be essentially before Arsenal's match this past week. They were trending up. They probably feel pretty robbed. So maybe they're coming in with a significant chip on their shoulder. 
and Aston Villa stumbled this past week. So I wonder where their head's at. Um, for me, there's a couple of players that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching, obviously, as always, Jack Grealish, because he's just a beautiful human being, but also <laughs> he's just having, I think he's, he's finally getting a ton of praise, but it's still kind of quiet. The appreciation of what he's doing because he's, I think he's in the, he either leads or he's in the top three for chances created on the season. And then he has 10 assists through 19 matches, which is pretty crazy because in theory he could reach the 20 assist mark considering who's on this team. I mean, obviously Ollie Watkins isn't, uh, he's not a schlub, but he's not a world-class striker. And um, the other supporting players are, you know, quality players that kind of were outcast from top, club so you know the fact that he has 10 assists already is, is, is very impressive and on the other side Arsenal we, we spoke about him earlier but Saka he's just he's he's just so much fun to watch um they uh he is the future and he is their current best player so uh those are the two players I'm really interested in watching first thing Saturday morning and and one of the bigger questions of that Saturday morning Saturday morning fixture is does Trevor put Bailey's in his coffee Ooh, at 7.30 in the morning. Remains to be seen. Mm, I don't know. That's kind of impressive. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. So next up for matches to watch this weekend, stick into Saturday. No surprise for me. Uh, the 3 p.m. match on, on again, Eastern, Eastern Standard Time. Manchester United versus Everton. Yeah, United needs to keep pace with City, you know. They're, they're quite a bit behind right now, but uh, they have the best shot to make the title title contention interesting. And Everton have top four aspirations. So, you know, currently they're in six, but they have two games in hand. They came out, start the season flying, and uh, they've come down to earth a little bit, but they're still grinding out wins. They're, they're definitely – they have a top-level manager. They have plenty of, of talent in that squad. So I, I expect this to be a competitive match. Um, for me, the players to watch for it, uh, I'm looking to Cavani for United. I, it's not guaranteed he starts. You never know what Ole is going to do, but I think he's earned the spot at the number nine over Martial. And um, Bones and I were actually just talking about this, but he's Cavani's only had six starts this season uh, in the Premier League. And uh, with that and his sub uh, appearances, he's averaging like 0.96 goal contributions per 90 minutes. So a goal or assist pretty much every 90 minutes. And uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a matter of time before he, his chemistry picks up with his teammates and uh, we'll see him on the score sheet regularly. Uh, United really need him to because, you know, we've kind of, our tax been a little mediocre this year. And on the Everton side, this was a tough one for me, but I think I'm going to go with Lucas Digne because United if they've had lapses in defense this year, it's actually been covering attack-minded uh, fullbacks. So Lucas Digne can be very dangerous going forward. Um, and I'm interested to see. I think if if United's back line's vulnerable, it's going to be – he's going to take advantage of that. You know, I, I, it'd be easy to say Calvert-Lewin, but Calvert-Lewin's like kind of a big physical central striker, right? And I think, you know – Harry Maguire, for all of his flaws, that's actually the type of player he he can, you know, go shoulder to shoulder with well because he's also just a big ogre. So, yeah. yeah. That he is. I will say that I, I 100% agree with everything you said. One clarifying thing regarding Cavani, it was, you know, 0.93 goal contributions, and that excludes penalties, right? Uh, yeah, but he hasn't taken any penalties. Well, right, but he, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, you're, just, you're just you're just highlighting the fact that, yeah, it's not like it's not inflated by the people. Right, right, yeah, yeah, right. So I, I 100% agree. I think Cavani from the start of the season really was a, a catalyst for United success. I mean, he he is the the last person that they had. You know, Lukaku was a, a true nine. You can't deny how talented he was but he didn't really ever fit in with United. And if you're thinking about historically world-class players, two of the most 
historic strikers of our generation, Ruslatan and Cavani. Both got to United late in their careers, but both incredible goal scorers and continue to, to be incredible goal scorers. Mm-hmm. And I think United desperately needs a Cavani as a steadying force up, up top. Got another match you're interested in this weekend? You should have at least one more. Well, yeah, I think you're going to be surprised that one is not on my list. But oh God. I, I'm looking forward to the Leicester Wolves match because both teams are, are trying to get back into pole positions. Obviously, Leicester is further up the table than, than Wolves are, but they're both fighting for European spots. And they, in recent weeks, have kind of sputtered. I think based on the Arsenal match, Wolves are going to be riding high. They and they, I think they're going to come out swinging. And I, I honestly think, despite ever Leicester having lost to Burnley, or excuse me, lost to Leeds, it was a, a pretty back and forth and and you know entertaining match. And so I expect very similar from this match. Yeah, I I couldn't put this on my list. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll go fuck myself. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty surprised. I think there's a I think you got a little bit of a soft spot for Wolves. I, I definitely do. And I, I, maybe I think, maybe it's because we've got a young American on the squad. Who knows? Yeah, he hasn't been getting much time recently. But yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I, I, I kind of expect Lesser to kind of roll over them, even even if Vardy doesn't play. But, hey, you were the one that called out the Wolves-Arsenal match, which I did not, and you were 100% right. It was very entertaining, but probably for very different reasons than we <laughs> yeah, expected. Most definitely. Although we can always count on or – you know, have have it in the back of our minds that David Luiz is probably due for a red card. Yeah, I mean that's that, that we probably could have predicted that. Yep. Okay. So enough dilly dying. It's like we're actively avoiding the biggest match of the weekend, Sunday, Liverpool versus Manchester City, reigning champ versus favorite to win this year. After a brutal loss to Brighton, a win could put them Liverpool. A, a win could put them back in sort of a shot at the title this year. You know, obviously there there's still long shots uh relative to City, but taking three points off off of them would uh would be huge. And for City this could just be a statement win, you know. They're already favorites to win. They have the game in hand. They're already in first. If they go in and uh put the boots to Liverpool, then they're definitely gonna be sending a message to the rest of the, the Premier League. So for me, there's uh, it was hard to say. There's only I, I try, I'm trying to pick one player from each team to watch. It's pretty tough. Um, for Liverpool, I, I went with Salah. I, I considered Thiago because I think Thiago. People are starting to realize that he's been actually mediocre since he's been in the Premier League, and he's capable of taking over a game. And he hasn't done that yet. So it'd be sweet if he did that against City on the biggest stage good way to announce himself but I think what we've seen recently is the games at Liverpool look like the old Liverpool are the games where Salah takes over and I think that the the attack until Jota comes back is really relying on Salah to to have kind of his vintage games where he just anytime he's in the box uh, there's a good chance the ball is ending up in the back of the net so for Liverpool I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Salah seeing what his performance is like and on the flip side, I was thinking about going with Gundogan, but I actually think because of the specific matchup of uh, if he starts Phil Foden versus Trent Alexander-Arnold, because I think if this happens and they're they're matched up against each other, I think Phil Foden is going to just terrorize Trent. Because <laughs> I don't think Trent's a very good defender. No, uh, he's not. And I think... Phil Foden can just absolutely put him in a mental and physical pretzel. So we'll see. That will be fun. I think overall I'm actually expecting kind of a, a low-scoring game. You know, cities. I think they're going to both come in kind of conservative and uh, be happy with one point. Obviously they'll take their chances when they get them, but I don't think they're going to be over – I don't think it's going to be an overly aggressive game. So from a standpoint of the micro, will the game be super exciting? Maybe not, but what it means for the table and what it means for the season, it, it's just too big to, to miss. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I have much to really add. I, I have slightly different player highlights or, or, or player showcases. 
I think what will be very interesting from City's perspective is and and integral to City's success in this match and moving forward is Gabriel Jesus because he's finally started scoring. He scored in successive matches. Will he be able to continue this form? Because you know, throughout this entire year, we've been talking about their offense just doesn't look the same. They're yeah. not getting production for up front, and he's finally scoring. And is he finally figuring out how to become that guy and and take over that role that Aguero will most likely leave this this summer? I I no. I, I don't know, but I think that this, this is a great match for him to put that stamp, his stamp on um, and, and, and to try well those fears from Liverpool's perspective. And I, I don't know to the extent that they are going to be available, but um, because I, I know Ben Davies was available uh, midweek, but didn't play. I would be very interested to see if Ozan Kabac and Ben Davies are rolled out in the back uh, and to see how they do. Obviously, they've been just ravaged by injuries, particularly in their center back position. And I, I would love to know if what they did in this tra- transfer window will ultimately pay off. How they match with the team, how they match with the rest of the defense. I'm very interested. Yeah. So the only thing about your two players is I think there's a high risk that we don't see any of them in this match. True. Okay. That is going to do it for episode. 22 i think 22 yeah so uh before we go if you want to which i strongly recommend go ahead and find us on twitter at two touch pod that's a place where you'll know when episodes are live and when we post new blog posts all the good content so yeah go ahead and find us on twitter all right so for bones i'm trevor thanks for listening Mm -hmm.